Great. Uh, so thank, thanks for joining us today. So we are talking to Rahib Amin, and I'm sure I just butchered his name again, which is always always fun and exciting. Um, but he is a API strategist and somebody that is, you know, spent a lot of time thinking about all of the things that go together of, you know, building your business outcomes, putting these things together and how do you actually serve that stuff up to people? So thanks. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, you know, nice to, nice to get a chance to chat. Yeah. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me for sure, Chris. So, so I guess. Like, tell, tell me a little bit about, about yourself. Like, how did you, how did you get to where you are today? You know, a lot of people might say, you know, how did, how did I, like, how did you end up being an API strategist? Like, where, where did you, you know, where did you come from? And, and, you know, where, what led you to chatting to me today? Yeah. Uh, thanks for asking that, Chris. It's definitely an interesting question, especially when, when you get to hear what I have to tell you here. So, I kind of, uh, you know, uh, first of all, I wanted to thank you for for the nice introduction there. Uh, but I wanted to say uh, that I kind of landed into API strategy from a completely backwards, uh, you know, someplace where you might not have expected at all. Uh, but I'll give you a little background about how I got here, right? So I was actually born and raised in Saudi Arabia with uh, parents uh, from Pakistan. Um, and I came to the States uh, early in the 2000s uh, uh, to take on an educational career, starting from boarding school to college and other things. Um, very early on, uh, you know, I had my interest and my passion kind of clearly laid out for myself. I was gonna, I was gonna be a professional guitarist and a professional musician, and that's all there was to it. You know, college and schooling was just kind of the thing that needed to get taken care of so I could eventually do that, which is interesting where I am now. Uh, uh, but essentially, uh, you know, my educational career was learning lots of different things, lots of different ways of using technology, lots of musical education um, uh, that really did start to become part of my passion. But as I got into college, I started to think about things that were perhaps more valuable to study, right? That wasn't your music music degree um, with some added pressure from my folks and family as expected for a, for a Southeast Asianer. Um, so with that said, I kind of, uh, I went along and I started to explore career options such as, uh, information systems, uh, you know, kind of product, uh, uh, I should say, uh, management. Um, and at that point I didn't really have a clear understanding of product management. Uh, but I, I started looking at things like information systems and I was loosely touching on things like, um, you know, um, uh, product strategy, uh, and what databases and things like that meant to folks. Um, eventually, I, I really, I fell out of uh, the education game. And I, I started to realize that a lot of the theory that may have appealed to me, I just didn't have a real way to touch it and play with it. And it didn't, it didn't appeal to me, I guess, was the best way to put it. So that kind of began um, my, uh, my kind of professional journey. Uh, it started uh, actually interesting with uh, the radio station job at, at my college, at Eckerd College, yeah. uh, where uh, uh, we had a non-functioning radio station. But you'd be surprised. They had all the equipment there. So all these technical boards and all these wires everywhere. Uh, but it was, which is interesting if you start to see the parallels between my first problem I see as, as my first problem. 
Um, there was a bunch of wires. There was all these records, but no way for someone to actually hear uh, this music uh, music uh, on the airwaves. For yeah, um, I saw this as an opportunity. Being from a third world country, having access to a radio station and that type of technology and that type of opportunity was super appealing. So it turns out not a lot of people had that interest, right? So I found my way and started speaking to the right people, the right supervisors. And they're like, you want to be in charge? Here you go. You're a general manager now. <laughs> um, and so I was like, great. Uh, I think I know what I want to do. So besides, you know, uh, drinking beer and having parties in the radio station and doing all that, I started to realize that the fundamental problem was for lack of a better word, the interface of the board itself, right? That most folks who are going to sit there and operate this radio station weren't going to be able to solder inputs onto a board, right? That we had to find a way to make it more accessible. Uh, we had to find a way for people to plug and play. Um, and so with that said, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I did my research and quite ambitiously thought I could do some of it, which I couldn't. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, I went to the local radio shop, started asking around about electrical engineers who might have, uh, you know, some, uh, some experience around that, around radios and all, all that. Sure enough, uh, I got, the, I got handed a card of a, an Eastern European fellow who was exactly into that and knew exactly what he was doing there. The trouble was he was in the middle of a medical situation where he was passing passing a stone um and uh so working with him early on was a terrific challenge because as soon as he showed up he looked at what we had and he says i know exactly what to do i know exactly how much time it will take me he walked up to our antenna and he said we're in we can we can bump up our signal to be a professional level radio station. That's the kind of equipment wow. you have, just so you know. So he he left us for several weeks with that uh, because, yeah. you know, he had to naturally, for lack of a better word, work through things. Um, so with that, after several weeks of thinking about this and thinking about, I'm on my side thinking about, okay, what type of inputs would I need? Well, this opens up the possibility of me streaming online this opens up the possibility of me plugging into our local, you know, computer, blah, blah, blah. Um, this started becoming really, really fun, right? Eventually, when he got back with us, yes, uh, we did just that. We hooked it up so that you could plug in quarter inch cables. And, you know, quite simply, with my knowledge of limited knowledge with sound equipment, I was able to hook things up and we were on the air and, uh, I don't know how legal it was, how much power we had, <laughs> but we were on the air. So that was kind of my uh, long story short. That was my first kind of technical problem to solve. And I look back and reflect well on that moment because it really, it really portrays what I like today about APIs and kind of how that brought me here today because it was a mix of problem solving from a user perspective and a business perspective combined with quickly picking up technical acumen and figuring out how quickly can I get rolling uh, without feeling limited by not being an electrical engineer yeah. um, for that matter. And so with that, you know, uh, make it quick uh, for the rest of it, because I think the rest of it is a little bit boring. Uh, the rest of uh, <laughs> my professional career, I think leading up to this point has been um, 
lots of retail management. So lots of user and customer interaction where I've learned on the ground kind of how do you talk to people? How do you respond to yelling customers? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, how do you pro process refunds without giving the, you know, those kind of situations really helped me retail, restaurant management. Eventually I landed myself the perfect customer service gig in a startup, which was also a, um, also a business analyst position and a product position and a, what have you. So I got my foot in the door by answering phone calls for a SaaS product uh, that offered uh, financing for, for um, you know, point of sale financing for things that are like tires and, and, uh, and uh, mattresses and things under $5,000 basically. Yeah. So I found myself servicing the needs of vendors and customers who were both interacting on a dual face type of platform that were uh that was basically uh uh better or worse was uh, kind of a, in a monolith kind of situation where it was two-faced app um and folks were needing a uh, problem resolution whatsoever uh, you know and the development team needed folks like on the on the kind of customer service side who could see the problem for what it was as opposed to the reported problem right yeah. And that's where I started to shine. And uh, it wasn't quick. I was very naive. And I was texting the CEO and texting the COO <laughs> and saying, hey, I'll do this for free. I know we have all these data analysts and all these business analysts. I'd love to get my foot in the door. This is kind of my third world mentality where I perhaps devalued myself early on. But it was, it was I look back to that as the one of the main experiences that brought me to finally understanding uh, getting so nerded out about APIs because over there, I got to do everything from being a scrum master to a product owner, to a business analyst, to a project manager, to everything, right? To a yeah. UX designer and also looking at API documents like XML API documents, JSON documents, working with actual integrators um, that are, that are, tied in deeply with the customer base and figuring out why certain API requests aren't working. So it was almost like an API support analyst role, but yeah. it, it got my hand dirty enough to where I just went off, off on my own and started studying. What does it mean to have restful APIs? What would, how do they power microservices? What are the benefits, business benefits of all of that, which is that's where I started to learn that people we're still not kind of connecting the dots between the the thing and why, why now, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and so that brought me to uh, 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 an organization that deals with um, uh, organ transplantation, uh, doing uh, helping them design so, and deploy some of their um, API products. Yeah. Well, one, yeah, one other, yeah. One other, yeah. One other question there. Like, yeah. So it, it sounds to me like, you know, it, it through a lot of your experience that, you know, kind of what you just said of people, people not really, you know, understanding the value of kind of good API strategy and like why you should care. And like, those are yeah. a couple of really great examples. And like, yeah. just to state it, like teenage me sounds super jealous, is yeah. super jealous of you, like getting to go play with a radio station. Like oh, that yeah. is freaking amazing. Yeah. And I might be forever jealous that that's the case. Cause even when I was a kid, the only thing what I, when I was a kid, if you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, it was to be on the radio. That's the yeah. only thing I wanted to be. And yeah. getting to like, hey, this is like my radio station. You want to fix it? Go fix it. Awesome. It Love was it. 
dream dream come true i didn't i might not have seen it then that way but yeah yeah and that's isn't that funny how that works yeah um but like you know thinking about back to like you know you know kind of api strategy is one of those interesting things of like a lot of people don't think that it's a, a big thing but it kind of is and and mm-hmm. you know looking back across all of your experience of those things like what would you like how would you kind of convince somebody that api strategy really is a thing that you should that you should think about Mm, okay, that's that's a great uh, question, um, and I think it, there's a there's a couple layered answer here. I think first of all, it's uh, helping people understand that things like APIs and other technical assets are no different than any other product. It has its consumers and its producers, and um, if we start to, and I think maybe I'll just say in general, if we start to think about them from the perspective of how these folks are interacting, then we are less concerned with, do I have X number of technical assets? I'm more concerned with how these technical assets, each one are enabling some type of interaction, right? Um, And so why would a business care? Uh, It's up to us, and, and I take that fully as a, you know, as my role in the, in the technical product management world, it's up to us to be able to identify and connect the dots between business value and things such as APIs, right? So why would I, how would I explain to a business executive that there's importance in delivering a good API strategy? Well, it's often a good way to illustrate the importance of something by indicating what's the, uh, you know, what's missed if something isn't in place. So if a good API strategy isn't in place, the effects are, in my eyes, apparent, right? They're downstream and they're indirect, but they are apparent. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's it's being able to articulate those uh, indirect uh, kind of, you know, why did it take your UI team three months to be able to give you an app? Because, you know, they were relying on an underlying app team that needed to build an API strategy, uh, needed to build an API uh, product uh, and didn't have a proper strategy in place and did kind of things willy-nilly and didn't even think about how it's going to be consumed on whether that should have any impact on the design. So that's those are the kind of conversations that we need to be able to have with business leaders to start to get to think about APIs and other technical product uh, things like products, right? They're no different. They're just uh, a different context and different, you know, personas involved. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's really great. I mean, it, one of the things, and this is this is a little, this is not totally true, but it is a little bit. One of the funny things that I see in a lot of organizations is that they they almost don't even know how their business runs. Like they know how it runs from an operational perspective or Excellent from a technology point. perspective. Like I don't really exactly know how this works. We have all of these pieces, we have hundreds of services, we have all of these things, but no one really quite knows. And yeah, I kind of look at API strategy as, you know, we're going to be deliberate on why and how we're doing this and having a clear path towards, you know, say I'm an e-commerce company. I actually know how an order is processed and 100%. I can try to optimize that process through kind of product thinking and other things. But if you don't have a good kind of solid API strategy underneath, you're going to be flailing in the wind. 
Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, well, I don't know, so I can't optimize something that I don't know about. Yeah, and I can't justify, to your point, I can't justify that optimization even. You know what I mean? So for a really good example here of not even knowing what I have uh, in my hands, right? Uh, they're uh, imagining a uh, banking solutions organization that is building, you know, um, payments related solutions for these top level banks, right? Yeah. Um, and these banks are using this data that they're being given for free through API interface, you know, through the, these interfaces uh, that are, are that are not just user interfaces, and those those banks are selling this data to their customer based on how fresh that data is. Meanwhile, on our side, that's just kind of free. We don't even know it's being sold. So it's to your point, not understanding, like uh, part of not having a good API strategy in place, in this case, a monetization, indirect monetization strategy in place, then we're missing the point and starting to starting to leave money on the table uh, on this case. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think a a really good real life example of that in the public space has been the Reddit API, where they were giving out access to the Reddit APIs for free forever, and there were yeah. whole businesses built on top of of this free API. And then Reddit says, "Hey, we're actually going to start monetizing our API." Which, you know, if you look at the, you know, what are the best kind of search engines in the world? You have kind of Google, you have YouTube, and then Reddit's going to be in the top five, probably, of actual good answers for a given problem. And to not have a monetization strategy on that API is almost criminal in some ways if you're the CEO. Yeah. I honestly think they went a bit too far, possibly, yeah. but it, you know that's a little bit up for debate. But the, you know it, it's kind of crazy that a company like that didn't really understand what they were doing. Yeah, I think you're hitting the nail on the head here, uh, Chris, because it's it's the have not having the strategy in place. And I'll uh, throw a little tidbit about mon API monetization, right? Would you th would you s sell a brand new par product on the market without understanding how you're going to price it, how specifically you're going to price your product, how you're going to build your margins, mm -hmm. any of that? Would you do that with any product? No, absolutely not then why would we do that with our APIs? You know, so that's that's where we sum up some of, a, a, I've seen another example of that Reddit API consumption thing. You know, we've given something away for free all this time. People are depending on it. People are consuming it. Now we're going to say, you're getting no more than that. You're getting the same thing. However, you'll have to pay. What does that do to your product? Does yeah. that kill it? Does your product survive because it was so valuable? You know what I mean? So it's 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 that uh, same thing, yeah. Well, I also, um, yeah, I, I I agree. It 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 is a very interesting problem of. It's almost a product problem, in some ways where. People have looked at their product, as being their UI or their app or their whatever for a long time, and the, the idea of having data as a product or a part of the product is something that is still kind of relatively new. Yeah. And that, that I think is where the gaps are. There's a handful of, of kind of partnerships and tools that are out there that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis that I've actually gone to them and said, Hey, could you, 
provide the stuff just via API. Your UI is great, but I don't necessarily need that. I just yeah. want the API and I'll pay for it. Yeah. But, you know, I, I want to take, you know, your kind of data and your thinking and kind of plus plus that into something else. And, um, you know, they're, if you're not thinking about monetizing your data, you're, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And more and more and more organizations need that type of interface, need that type of scalability, composability. You know what I mean? Not uh, organizations don't want to rely on three different user interfaces or users have to log into. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's 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 super, super, super crucial to have that in place because you'll you'll see other problems emerge. You know, you'll start to see in my example in the transplant um, business, you start to see all these integration businesses that build these small little apps that help solve the problem of a poor integration experience. And that's all they're doing, but they charge yeah. a lot. You know <laughs> what I mean? So, so, so who, who do you, who do you see as kind of responsible for kind of API strategy in a lot of ways? It seems like it can almost be not anyone in particular, but I'll keep my, how do you, how do you see that when, you know, from a, yeah. like a successful business perspective, how, how do you see API strategy being set and, and kind of driven forward? Yeah. Uh, great, great uh, question here. Uh, I think for me, API strategy is, it's not, you know, it, we have to treat this strategy similar to perhaps other types of strategies that we see in our world that, that, that work. Right. So for me, there's some key patterns to establish here in API strategy as well. Do we have a grassroots kind of a uh, kind of an um, a communication line, right? So what I mean by that is, are we finding um, are we finding that when we're developing an API strategy, that is just a few leaders that are saying, "Hey, do A, B, or C," or are we taking into account the perspective and opinions of people that are on the ground? People that are leaders, people that are architects, people that are QA professionals, you know, people that are front-end web developers, are we taking all that into account? And I think that's that's ultimately what it comes down to, uh, API strategy. Um, I'm going to pause here for a second because I uh, lost my train of thought there. Uh, what no, was no there? No problem. So like, it, 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 um, so I'll just, a, just a, I guess, a secondary kind of question. So yep. I, I would, I would say a lot of, architects would throw mm -hmm. their hat it and say, I own this. Do, do you right, see that right. as, do you see that as being successful or, or is, I that, think that, is that a pattern that you, you kind of want to stay away from? I think it's definitely an anti-pattern, right? That, that being said, there are phases to this. You can't, you can't say all of a sudden I have a community of practice that's talking about APIs that spans the whole organization, spans job personas and their roles and everything. You have to start somewhere. It may start with a group of architects that are building this team together. Eventually, the output of this team shouldn't just be people, should be some sort of automated guidance, some sort of automated solution that's easy enough for developers and producers of APIs and consumers of APIs to use, right? So it's uh, it's a grassroots thing. It's a It's a developing kind of a team structure that takes into account the big picture as opposed to just, hey, what's the right way to do this, right? There's REST guidelines, and then there are organizational level style guides that that inform the developers, hey, 
everything else into account. This is how you overlay our direction. You know, that should come from a, a mixed group of people. So that's, uh, I think, and maybe one more anti-pattern I've seen is, and it's kind of going back to the same thing is, we don't need more hall monitors and we don't need a strictly top-down directive that doesn't work from a long-term change perspective. It has to be both-ended, right? It has to be something that the leadership is bought in and is really encouraging and enabling their staff to do, but it has to be also bought in on the grassroots level. Like people in the development teams and the consumption teams should feel empowered that they have a voice in this strategy. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you'll be surprised how much they know. <laughs> uh, to be quite honest. Uh, and so uh, I think that's that's helping us, one, um, lay out the strategy, right? So anti-pattern, maybe one thing I'll add more here is it's important to go, you can't boil the ocean, right? So when it comes to strategy, API strategy, it's important to think about your producers and your consumers and your current use cases and your current pain points. It'll, it'll establish you to lay some baseline somewhere and start somewhere and build on that and see where the gaps are. Yeah. So the temptation to have a full style guide or a full whatever, resist that because again, you're thinking, you're applying product thinking to everything. You know what I mean? And I think that's what we mean by data as a product, API as a product. We're not saying they're, yes, we're saying they're product, but we're saying apply product thinking to these assets. Yeah. So, so what... So you, you kind of brought up a couple of them there, but what what do you think the like what are the attributes of like a good API strategy? Like, you know, you mentioned style guides and a couple other things, but like what do you, you know, there's the, you know, kind of what you said of like, I'm gonna like nail down every single possible thing and you're gonna have no leeway to do anything. And mm -hmm. then there's having nothing and then there's everything in between. But what what do you see as kind of the the sweet spot of of a good API strategy? Yeah, I think sweet spot is kind of a, um, well, depends kind of situation. Like, where is the team at? What are their consumption Spoken needs? Like a true consumption. Right? I have to. I have to. Use, I had to use it somewhere. But uh, I, I have to say that, you know, the sweet spot, I think there is really, it, it really does depend. You know, it's like you, yeah. you really need to think about what interaction are you trying to enable? So, if you think about, um, you know, simply, I hear a lot, right? I need a developer portal. Yeah. For me, the question that just opens up a flood of questions. I know it does for you too, Chris. <laughs> but uh, I would, I you know, I, for sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so it's like, hey, now that you've triggered me, um, you know, what is it about the developer portal that you need? Well, you know, you know, we got to have our API somewhere. Okay. Well, who needs to find your APIs? Oh well, we we have partner developers. We're thinking we might go develop a public API, blah blah blah. And so, all of those interactions, how do we how do we build how do we build a strategy around that? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's that would be a better served conversation than saying, "Hey, what type of developer portal we need?" Uh, instead, we should be talking about, "Hey, we have partner front end developers." that need to consume our APIs, specifically this API or this endpoint or this type of data. And we need to expose that so that they can scale their, you know. So we're talking specifically about the interaction and it just so happens the best way to do it maybe is a developer portal. 
maybe it's just a confluence page maybe it's it's a graphql schema a interpolation schema you know what i mean yeah so uh so yeah no, i'll stop there it, you know it also there's probably more than one strategy or more than one leg to that given strategy because yeah. if you think about the you know the internal apis okay great i have a strategy for that yep i have a strategy for developing them I have a strategy for discoverability and everything else through things like a developer portal, but your strategy is going to be very different for an external API because you need to think about better security. You need to think about rate limiting. You need to think about monetization and all of the things that don't necessarily apply to internal APIs, the, the, at least mm. the same way. Yeah. So to me, to me, that's where the opinionatedness comes in, right? I think I believe, and I know a lot of the communities of the same belief as well. Um, I believe that you do treat your internal APIs as products, that we have to find a way to understand the context better. So we can, I mean, we still implement authorization. We still implement authentication. It's just a matter of scoping and, you know, how it applies to that specific principle. For example, I need an intent, I need an internal developer portal. You know, that's the output or the thing that people are asking for. Yeah. The question to be asked is what reusable assets do you have? For example, APIs. How are you designing those APIs? Is there some guidance around those designs? How are you publishing those APIs? Maybe it's just simply, uh, you know, a flat document. Maybe it's a way for you to try it in the developer portal itself. Maybe it comes with auth tokens or access tokens that you can hit the API yourself. So it, it just, it's, it's very important to even your internal products treat them, even your internal APIs treat them as products and be able to understand the difference in context. Yes, but quite often what ends up happening is internal functionality that's been built into an API. People, you know, you uh, product owners and product managers and business professionals will go to teams and say, hey, I want APIs. What do you got? You must have some yeah. internal APIs. What do you got? And it turns out that it's you start digging and you realize nothing is where it needs to be. Nothing works the way it's supposed to. And perhaps that was part of the problem all along. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it sure is. Uh, so yeah, wow. that that's just my opinion there where it's uh, internal products, uh, internal APIs should definitely still be API products and treated as such. I, I totally agree. And there's, you know, in everything, there's like people problems, process problems, and technology problems. And this is another great example of, you know, a lot of people when talking about, you know, APIs and dev portals and those types of things, it's, well, what is the technical contract for the API? What are, right. but there's also like kind of an operational contract for, for lack of a better words of, well, yeah. here's how you actually use this thing. You know, bu yep. building that trustworthiness and discoverability of here's exactly what I'm doing with this API. Here's what you can expect. All of these given things that have really nothing to do with it technologically, but everything to do with building out that API strategy for the organization that this is what I, if you're going to do an API, this is mm -hmm. what I would expect. And these are the standards that I would hold you by. And if you don't have them, you're going to slow everyone else down and that's not acceptable. Yeah, yeah. Then, then it's a matter of why would you just put something out there to put it out there, right? It's supposed to serve an outcome. 
just yeah. like products. Or you put it out there half-ass and that goes to the the product product thing <laughs> yep. you're thinking of. It's like, yeah. okay, well, you know, would you ever put out an app on the app store yeah. that doesn't have a login? It doesn't yeah. have like it doesn't have documentation of how to use it. It doesn't have any of those things. Like, no, you would never do that. Yeah. Why would you do that for something internally when you're in the, you're just shooting yourself in the foot by 100%. by doing all of that? And it can have a really severe impacts to an organization overall. And go to the thing that I was talking about earlier of people not knowing how their business actually operates. This is the root of the problem yep. that yep. leads you to that that particular space of not knowing. Yeah, yeah, unintended silos. Yeah, you can't you can't help it. Exactly right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think we've like I think that's that's some super interesting stuff. But you've also done some really interesting stuff around like API design. You've been helping out a, a company, and you've been kind of helping them on this this journey, which I think is I think is really interesting. You want to. Kind of tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited to talk about this. So uh, there's an organization called Alliance of Native Seed Keepers. Um, and it was formed by, um, I'm trying to get these names right, make sure, uh, Victoria Ferguson, uh, Dwayne Painter, Beth Roach, and Fix. Um, they uh, they are folks that, I, uh, well, Beth, at least, I, I got involved with her uh uh, working on the water keepers. Um, so um, I'm involved in a lot of kind of uh, civil civil things and, and civic things and try to help out where I can. And uh, I'm pretty active. Um, and so with that, you know, uh, they have formed an organization called Alliance of Native Seed Keepers. And I got in touch with them simply based off of a uh, response on, on, an, uh, on a Facebook post around hey, we need an API developer. Can somebody help? And I start getting real curious. And so it's heartwarming work for me because the more I got involved, the more I got hooked, the more I learned about them, the more I was like, this is something I need to be a part of. Um, and uh, Beth and Fix have basically become brothers and sisters to me at this point. And they've, they've really open-armed uh, taken me into the community. So it means a lot. Um, so without without too much more on the emotional part, um, they are, uh, they're basically called themselves, they're funding all a seed house, which uh, they have a storefront where they're selling, um, you know, seeds that are helping fund their cultural efforts. What does that mean? Tying their roots back to their native, uh, native people, bringing them back and doing some land reclamation and funding societies. And how do you help build a society, right? It's not just giving people a job. It's giving them a grocery store. It's giving yeah. them ways to live, you know? So there's all these humongous efforts and the seed, uh, the seed house is exactly that a seed to all those efforts for their, uh, for their, um, uh, for their efforts right so with with that um they uh they not only are trying to uh use those profits to uh help uh, you know share cultural or raise cultural awareness but they're also trying to basically um get to a point where they can um losing my train of thought here uh so they're they're also they're there it is. So they're all, part of their mission is also to preserve the identity that's tied to the seed itself mm. and to their tribes and how what it's me meant to them, right? Their whole life, how, you know, some of that has 
as we all know, been stripped away from them, right? So they're in the process of healing. And in many ways, this little seed store represents a lot of that. So where I came into play what's their, is... Uh, what's the, what's uh -huh. the URL for the seed store? Oh, good. Yeah, good call. So yeah. they're called... It's uh, allianceofnativeseedkeepers.com. Um, and uh, if you go to their Birth of the Alliance page... Uh, then you'll get to read up a little bit about their mission and stuff yeah. like that too. And we'll we'll put the link for that in in the description of the Sweet. of everything too. So, um, but I just want at least to get it out there and give them a little yeah. bit of a shout out as well. And I was gonna say, if if anyone's interested, you know, uh, feel free to order some seeds. If you're if you're a full on farmer, you full on are into it, do your thing. If you're not and trying to get into it, start start here. You'll be funding a great cause. Um, so yeah, feel free to hit them up and learn as much as you can about it. Yeah. So what, um, so what, what, what kind of, you know, what kind of pro they said that, you know, you said they wanted an API developer, mm. like what, what was really the problem they were having and then how did you kind of go about figuring out what, what, what to do for them? You know, it's interesting. Uh, a great question. It's interesting what their problem really was and is and where I found myself with these folks and why I was so excited to join in first when someone you know first just I got triggered with the hey I need an API developer well do you really need a developer what do you need the API for you're asking again for a developer portal right so that sort of thinking happened but this was on a to a friend basis and someone that I'd worked with and looked up to and I know is involved with the Sierra Club and and all kinds of stuff right so uh, I wanted to be as helpful as possible and I saw this as as an opportunity for me to kind of materialize some of the things that are in my head. Um, and so, yeah, I responded to, hey, API developer, what are you looking for? Then I started learning, hey, we actually have this shop. This is how we're selling things. It's a Wix. Uh, I don't know if we need to cut that out, but it's a Wix yeah, store. It's a Wix store where, uh, you know, we we do all these manual things. We have some automations we built into Wix and I basically fix, you know, I, uh, I with some help, maybe uh, have designed this whole web experience to help people purchase seeds. And guess what? It's selling and people <laughs> are buying month over month. There's growth on sales. So it's perfect. Right now, the huge problem is they have, done a bunch of assessment on their sides and looked at what they what could work for a warehouse management system for their uh, for them right by the way the the thing that's really cool about this and was weird and interesting is you might think that they didn't come from a tech savvy background that people like fix they have an interesting affinity to, to technology to let, yeah. understanding that technology is their is their way out of some of their problems right so that was interesting for me because a lot of times you find an enterprise having to convince leadership of that. Here yeah. I found the opposite where the leadership was like, hey, it's like, it's interesting you're talking about APIs, first of all, right? So, um, but I found the more I dug, the more I realized they're actually doing assessment. They're actually, they have really good SEO talents, which is why this thing is blowing up. Like yeah. they're, they're doing a lot of the things, right. The web design was good, even though it was probably low code, you know what I mean? Which is great. So I started to see the opportunity of, okay, well, what they meant was I, we need an API developer to help us stitch this warehouse management system, which is SKU Savvy, another up and coming, highly recommend for folks to check out SKU Savvy. 
Um, but um, it's one of those um, it's one of those things where they're like, we've picked out this warehouse management system. We've realized our bottleneck is on the uh, there are these three main workflows, right? The pick flow, the packaging flow, and the shipment flow, which basically all you know, other than inventory management itself. The whole warehouse management solution pre presents a a unified experience for them to pull in uh, their Wix data or whatever shopfront data, yeah. uh, you know. And so there's webhooks available. There's GraphQL endpoint available. Uh, so all all sorts of things that were like, okay, we know this is an API first product. We need some. We need an API developer uh, because we need to hook this up to Wix. Well, it turns out it took me six weeks to prove that it was the poorest integration possible. And it was like call after call, setting things up, figuring out, testing, creating different, you know, different objects in SKU Savvy, pulling data from Wix. Turns out they had a built-in like integration with Shopify and they've made a lot of accommodations for, of course, for yeah. Shopify, you know? Yeah. And to them, then the conversation became, I realized my, uh, you know, this at this point, I'm already engaged. I'm assessing it to them. I'll tell them what it'll cost. You know, maybe things can just get plugged in. Maybe we'll need to hire some development help, blah, blah, blah. And all this is happening. And um, we get to a point where I'm starting to now have the conversation with them. You might need to think about moving off this platform onto Shopify. What's keeping yeah. you on Wix? You know what I mean? And it turns out not much. It turns out that uh, actually the Shopify experience was better for them to to begin with, and it it opened up a whole new slew of integration opportunities, and it and out of the box integration with their chosen warehouse management system. Which keep in mind, they had less options with the warehouse management system than they had with the Shopfront, right? Of course. Yeah. So, uh, and Shopify is no joke, right? I, I took I took some long deep looks at it before I made the recommendation. And I also looked at what it might mean to migrate. Fairly simple. So it's been a matter of working with them to onboard this new software, um, understand everything, you know, from an integration perspective. I've also gotten them to get a Zapier account. Now we have our own sorts of uh, automations that are taking place. Yeah. I've also set them up with a kind of a database now, um, a Postgres SQL database where we're starting to build our own artifacts around what data objects look like and what they mean to us. All in the idea of, you know, taking all these domain different design principles uh, into account, all with the idea of, hey, I can help this organization take low-code principles such as APIs and move forward in their journey until they're ready for building custom solutions, which we're already starting to explore those options, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where I came in and um, shortly after taking on a leadership role there and very excited about it for sure. Well, it's, it's, it's a, that's a really interesting kind of growth story to me where, you know, there's, you know, we, and, and a lot of the stuff that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, it's, you know, multinational organizations, thousands yeah. of people. Yeah. Um, but the, a lot of those same technology problems exist for a mom and pop shop that is two employees exactly. and you know i mean every you know there's there's kind of the, the adage of every business is a software development business now which is yeah. not untrue in a lot of ways where yeah. you, know, you have you have to manage your website if you're going to sell stuff you've got everything that you're just talking about is inventory yeah. management and sales mm -hmm. and 
taxes and shipping and logistics yeah. and all kinds of things that have nothing to do with baking cookies or whatever it is that, that you're exactly. doing. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. like, so thinking about that kind of, you know, shift of like, you know, you were on Wix and then you, 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 like if you were to kind of redo it all again, like, would you do it any, what'd you learn from it? Would you kind of do things different? Do you feel like you ended up in the right place? And, um, good question. I, I think, I think uh, we made the right move. I think we had to do what we had to do. If I could do it all over again, I'd have someone do all the, uh, someone else do all the API testing, <laughs> uh, which, which was fun at first, but then it got painful, you know? And it so would have been nice uh, to just what kind, kind of testing of, uh, are you? So when you talk about just API testing, like you, what, what were you actually like, what were you doing and what was the problem that you were actually trying to solve? Man, if there was, if this was like, I mean, I'll throw another name out there. If this was like chat GPT APIs, then I would have had less problem testing. If they were documented and explained like chat GPT APIs, it would be different. But in this case, all I had was a, you know, a, a source of what the objects look like. I wasn't able to, you know, I was able to interpolate the, the schema for a GraphQL endpoint. What I had to figure out was how do I take orders, the, or the object that's represented as orders in, um, in uh, Wix, and how do I create a new order in, um, in SKU savvy without there being any like plug and play integrations available. Right. Yeah. So I had to think about, okay, as soon as an order is created, are there any mechanisms for me to get some event driven communication from Wix? Turns out there is, could I plug it into something like Zapier and have it do some kind of action to call an API from SKU savvy and create an order there so that the workflow can take on from there. Turns out, yes, I can. So doing all that, but, even within the time that I figured it out, Zapier even has escalated. It wasn't able to do then what it can now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but it took a lot to do of that to be able to say, this is still a weak integration and this is stitched together. And that, yes, there are webhooks and yes, there are events communicating, but there's too much of a burden in the middle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like where you're, you're better off building a custom solution to make that integration happen. Or you're better off moving your storefront. And uh, what makes sense for you? Well, it, it'll take you two days to, you know, two days to a week to move your storefront. And you have a working integration, which we have tested, by the way. I've tested yeah. it with a fake Shopify store and see that it's reading stuff. It actually um, maintains like a maintains like a live connection where data points are transferring. So yeah, that that's what it came down to. I wouldn't change much about the decision i would if this had been better documented like some of the same things we're talking about if my interaction with what was available to me uh as far as functionality was better then i would have been able to solve the same thing that took me several weeks probably in a day and you know what i mean so i mean that that really kind of ties it back to like general api strategy if yeah. the people you were integrating with had a yeah. better api strategy that, you know, here's how, here's how people are using it. Here's the objects that you can use. Here's all of these things that yeah. if, if it was relatively straightforward, then. Yeah. 
you, you yeah, could have spent a lot more time or could have saved a lot of time. Yeah, and I mean, you know, maybe we got lucky here, but we could have gone with the other decision and say, you know what, we're just going to have to figure out another warehouse management system and stick with Wix because it's too much of an effort. And yeah. that would have been a bad decision, I think. Well, and, and think from of a the... composability and extensibility perspective. You know what I mean? Yeah. And think of the business impact that that could have to, what would you say, skew savvy. So, you know, if they, if their APIs aren't good enough to be able to integrate with, you're going to lose a lot of customers. And, yep. you know, one of the, you know, one of the challenges that I have with a lot of vendor tools, along with some like no low code, no code platforms is they'll work until they don't. Yeah. And yep. when they, once you hit that wall and you never know where that wall is going to be, you have almost no ram like there, exactly. remediation after that. Like it's, yeah. you're just, no, it just can't do it. You're out of luck. Yeah. yeah. You can go beg to them to try to get them to build something, but good luck. Yeah. And you know, that's when you, you know, I've seen people have to scramble to try to build some other yeah. mechanism and it can be a, it can be a mess. And it's, it's really a tense situation, you know, like for, for example, like with SKUSAP, now one thing I want to say, the SKUSAVI, the fact that they have a GraphQL endpoint and I'm able to interpolate data and I can read it and use it and was able to test and call endpoints without a whole lot of documentation goes to show you they were designed pretty well. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And they're good. They're good. You know, they're not well documented like GraphQL APS. I want to throw that out there. I don't want to throw them under the bus on this because in fact, if it, if I wasn't able to test, which would very likely, right. If I wasn't even able to hit the endpoint, then I'd be in trouble. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, 10 years ago, I might not have had the, the capability to do this with Zapier. Right. Like I might've said, Oh no, there's no integration between skew savvy and no integration between Wix. I need to build a, a custom solution. Yeah. And, you know, it may still be in a silo. That solution may still have to exist in a silo. Like users might still have to log into three things because there's no integration available. And that's that's, right. that's what poor API strategy and poor not thinking about APIs as products, that's where it lands us. So, so if, like thinking about kind of, kind of that, that last statement, where, you know, if, if I'm somebody listening to this and like, oh yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be that. Like, how do I, where do, where do you even kind of begin? Like how, how would you kind of think about the, the journey of, you know, improving my overall API strategy? Mm. I know that's a super broad question, but that's, a, that's a definitely super broad, but, but yeah. I, I knew you weren't going to take it easy on me. So um, <laughs> I think, I think it goes back to like focusing on your business need and use case, you know, in this case, like, let me just take the, the Alliance of native seat keepers as an example. I could have right now I'm thinking about automation on the customer support side, right? Do we actually need a, a CRM? Can it be, you know, something makeshift and there's ticket management somewhere? There are all these tools out there, right? But it's kind of like really go back to your go back to your interactions that are problems for you in your business and opportunities, right? And and sometimes involve sometimes it means looking into an opportunity before realizing it's a problem or an opportunity. Yeah. But a lot of times these things are glaring things you know glaring problems 
you know, we hear from clients all the time, I need a developer portal, or I need an API gateway, or I need, I need to, uh, I, you know, I need an IAM uh, kind of product. And you're like, wait, let's talk about what you really need. Like, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think it's going back to like asking yourself enough. Yes, I want to think API first. I want to think about how do I build my APIs, even internal ones as API, as products. But I really want to prioritize based on where my business opportunities are. The only way to do that is to think about the consumers and the producers and the type of interactions they need to they need to uh, engage in. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. And I would layer on top of that, like, yes, you want to listen to them, but, you know, building those feedback loops yeah. to both of them is just incredibly critical. You know, how well did this actually work for you? What could we do to improve it? You know, you yeah. just use this kind of obscure feature. Did did it, you know, help you whatever? Yeah. And, you know, you need to do that on both sides of the equation too of, you know, you, um, you know, you can't just focus on the producer or the consumer. A lot of people want to focus on the consumer because they're the end user. Yeah. And well, that's not necessarily the only person that, that you should be thinking about as well. I mean, the developers right. and everybody else that are building the APIs are, have a lot of problems too, probably. Yeah. And you know, like that to me is in a lot of these different cases of yeah. how do you really understand the problem, like getting a look across there, where are the problems actually? And then you can figure out how to narrow it in. So instead of yeah. that super, super broad question, you can now say, well, Hey, I have this, you know, no one can find my APIs. No one knows how to interoperate with them. Okay, great. Maybe a dev portal is the right thing to do. But starting with I want a dev portal is rarely ever a good idea. Yeah, it's it's good for us, you know, for us consultants to hear things like that because we easily see hear them as red flags, right? We've been trained. But I think one thing I haven't mentioned, and you really helped me get to that here, and I want to make sure I mention like some of the best practices I've seen in organizations around good API strategy and having a good API ecosystem goes to the design process. And are you thinking about APIs from a design first perspective or from a, a you know code first perspective? None of those worlds are perfectly executable uh, you know, in isolation, right? Because there's always green field work, there's brown field work, and somewhere along the middle, you can't just have non-technical people design the whole thing, right? But there is a middle ground there. If your strategy can find that sweet spot of middle ground of how do I think from an API design perspective, but still, you know, get some of the, the infrastructure work automated to where it's not completely dependent on, on the design, but it's the design is the source of truth where the business rules, all of that kind of gets fleshed out to the point where now the developer can spin this up based off of API contracts or, or what have you, right? Yeah. So there, there is a sweet spot there. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's never very clean, but it's important to think about what aspects of that in your organization you can automate and what aspects of the design first process you can start to apply. Like, hey, can I coach my product management and my architects enough to have those high-level conversations around, hey, is this going to be a REST API? Is this going to be an event-driven API? What does that look like? What are objects associated with that? You know, yeah. So enabling folks to have that conversation early on, and to your point, 
the feedback loops in that design process, you know, you think about design thinking, it's really all ideas until people can touch it and play it, right? The 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 prototyping and all of that. So early on in that design process, how can you enable folks to test those endpoints? Can you mock endpoints? Can you mock responses for people to get started, right? A lot of the problem is around the bottleneck of people depending on APIs to be ready before they can build anything. So you're kind of tackling two birds with one stone here. Not only are you getting feedback for your API development process through your design process by letting people touch it and feel it, but you're also giving them an opportunity to start to build what they can based on off of current alignment, right? So Yeah. Um, yeah, that kind of, you know, when I, I, you know, the concept of contracts is something that, I think it's just incredibly valuable. And, you know, you they now have like contract testing through things like Pact.io and other, there's other kind of tools out there, but excuse me, the, you know, being able to design, come up with that contract and enforce that contract and also understand what, what are the implications when that contract changes? Right. Is, you know, the, you know, there's like the concept of day one. And then what about day 20 or day 200? Like yeah. How do you you get away from those initial kind of designs and things start to change? But if you're not keeping a good handle on that, yeah, you can end up in kind of chaos. Yeah, good. That's a great point you brought up. Uh, uh, so we've mentioned a little bit about monetization strategy, right? We haven't really gone into versioning and versioning strategy. These are the kind of things you talk about during design. You know, you don't want to paint yourself in a corner. There, we know some famous organizations that are said that have said in the past. We'll never, we'll never not support an API. You know what I mean? It'll always be in existence. Is that right for your organization? Is that right to paint yourself in in a corner like that? Or is it better for you to identify, hey, you know, we're gonna, we know what best practices look like from a versioning perspective. We know how to mitigate, you know, the breaking changes for our consumers. Let's lay out a path for that so that we're all set up for success instead of saying, we'll never update an API. Because that, Either you actually never do it and it cost ends up costing you too much or you break your promise. You know what I mean? So, or you grind your business to an absolute halt because you yeah. can't actually get yeah. anything done. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Any other kind of tools or techniques that, that you think of when it comes to, to kind of just crafting a good strategy or things like people to look out for, like through the design session, like yeah. be wary of, of these things or, or something of that nature. Yeah, uh, I think mainly uh, be wary of being too dogmatic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm the first proponent of design first. I'm the first proponent of APIs as a product. You have to uh, you have to be kind of flexible with your decisioning here and keep in mind, you know, like things you will feel differently and different decisions will make sense later on, right? So with some grace, be flexible, do your best to implement the best practices. But at the end, realize that you'll have to make compromises and you'll have to find what works now and perhaps in a way that doesn't block you in from what you want to do in the future. Yeah. Well, this was this was a really, really fun conversation. I, uh, I feel like I learned a lot and uh, I always really enjoy talking to you. Same here, Chris. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Pleasure.